once again, and thank you for coming and uh, tuning in to our podcast of Risen Fellowship. We're working our way through Genesis to get the highlights of what the structure of the book is all about so you would be better able to read through the 50 chapters and understand what God is doing. We have already looked at the uh, first 11 chapters, which give us the four great events, the creation of the universe, the fall of mankind, the flood of Noah, and the rebellion at Babel. Now we're going to go into the second division of the book, which is chapter 12 through the end, chapter 50, and it really centers and focuses upon four great people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And today, our subject of our podcast is Abraham. Now, Abraham does cover from chapters 12 through chapter 25, so we could do numerous podcasts about the father, Abraham. But we're going to do this all in one and kind of condense it into something that I hope will not only elevate what God did in Abraham's life, but also give you a challenge for God to do something extraordinary in your life. And if we had a title for this, it would be called The Greatest Test of All. And basically, going to look at Genesis chapter 22. But to begin, first I found this inscription that was written on a cathedral clock in Europe. It said, when, as a child, I laughed and wept, time crept. When, as a youth, I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. And later, as I older grew, time flew. Soon I shall find, while traveling on, time gone. It's amazing as we are in our life, the days seem unending. But as we move from stage to stage, there will come a time when we'll look back and see that our life was really just a brief time on earth. But at the age of 75 is when Abraham stepped out by faith and entered into the school of faith. It was there that he decided to hear God's call and to respond to God's call and follow him wherever he directed him. Now, in chapter 22, Abraham is well over 100 years old, and we're going to find that he's still being stretched in his faith. And that's just a great example for us. We never get too old for new challenges, or never too old to fight new battles, and never too old to learn new truths. And as a follower of Christ, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, that's repeated three times and quoted three times in the New Testament, tells us that the just shall live by faith. So as we live our life today, we need to walk by faith just like Abraham did. And Abraham's life is a great illustration to teach us how to grow in the school of faith. And so let's consider five truths about what Abraham experienced as he went through the school of faith. First of all, he expected tests from God. You know, in the school of faith, we're going to have occasional tests just like we did when we were going through school or as we were going through school, we'll never know what we're learning academically. If we don't have tests in our spiritual life, we'll never know where we are spiritually. And Abraham in his life sure had his share of tests. In chapter 11, he had the family test. When God asked him to leave all of his loved ones and to go to a country that he would show him. He didn't even tell him where to go, he just said, follow me. That was the family test. Then in uh, chapter 12, we see the famine test. After he decided to follow God and believe God's word, a famine came through the land and Abraham began to doubt God. He failed this test. He began to doubt God and he fled to Egypt for help. And then he had the fellowship test, which was when he passed with flying colors when he allowed his nephew Lot 
to take his uh, choice of land. If Lot decided to go one way, Abraham would go the other. And in chapter 14, we find the fight test. The foreign kings had come in and, and attacked Sodom and Gomorrah and captured the city and a lot of the citizens and took uh, Lot, uh, Abraham's nephew, and he passed the fight test. Abraham uh, rallied some of his servants around and went and fought and won the release. And following that test comes the fortune test in chapter 14 when Abraham, who trusted in God, not in the riches of man, he said no to the king of Sodom when the Sodom uh, king was trying to pay him for his uh, victory that he had won in freeing the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then another test that Abraham failed was the fatherhood test. When he and Sarah got so impatient waiting upon God's promise to come true of having their only son, um, Sarah suggested to Abraham to take Hagar, her maidservant, and to have a child with her, with her and that that would be their uh, heir. And that's not what God wanted. And then there was the farewell test in chapter 21 when it broke Abraham's heart to have to send Ishmael, the son that Abraham had through Hagar, had to send him away because of the contention that was building in the home. But chapter 22 records probably the greatest test and the one that's the, probably the most famous that Abraham ever faced in his life that most people talk about. And it's in chapter 22 when God uh, called Abraham to take his only son, the son that he loved, Isaac, and take him to a place on a mountain that he would show him and to sacrifice his son to God. Now it's true that this is a beautiful picture of our Lord's sacrifice at Calvary. And we don't want to dismiss that. We're going to talk about that. But the main lesson of this uh, test right here is that obedient faith is what overcomes the trials of our life. Now, one of the first things we need to do when we're talking about trials is to distinguish the difference between temptations and trials. You see, temptations come from the evil one, and there's those evil desires that within us to take us away from what God wants us to do. Trials that come from the Lord, He has them for a specific, special purpose in our life to be able to fulfill. Temptations are from the devil, and He's desiring to bring out the worst in us. Trials come from God by the Holy Spirit to bring out the best in us. Temptations seem so logical, so wonderful, and trials, when they come our way, seem as to be the most unreasonable request we can ever face. And you stop and think about, why would God give Abraham a son and then ask Abraham, the father, to take him and to sacrifice him? You know, we as believers, we all face similar temptations as we, uh, to sin in this life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that we all face those kinds of temptations. But not all believers experience the same trials of faith. The test that God sends our way seem to be tailor-made for each and every one of us as we walk with God. You see, God never asked of Lot to face the same test that Abraham faced. Why? Well, because one reason, Lot was too busy being tempted by the world and the flesh, and he never grew to the place of spiritual maturity to be able to endure the test that God had. He'd never reached that level of following uh, obediently to God as Abraham had. So in one sense, when God sends us a test, it's like a compliment showing us that He is ready to promote us in the school of faith. And God never sends us a test until He knows that we are ready for it. 
So the first truth as we go through the school of faith is to expect trials in our life because the Christian life is not easy. The second truth to be able to lean upon when we're going through these trials and these tests is to focus on promises, not upon explanations. You see, our faith is never really tested until God asks us to bear the unbearable or to do uh, what seems to be unreasonable or to expect what seems to be impossible. I mean, it wasn't just Abraham that did this. I mean, when you look at Joseph in prison, he was expecting the impossible. You see Moses and Israel at the Red Sea when Pharaoh's army was about to take them, they were hoping for some kind of miraculous divine intervention. And then David in the cave when Saul, King Saul was trying to kill him, or even Jesus at Calvary. We have to expect what seems to be impossible and to live by the promises, not by explanations of God. Consider how unreasonable this request of God seems to be. Isaac is Abraham and, and, and uh, Sarah's only son, the son that was born to him in very old age, the miraculous son. And the future covenant rested upon him and rested in this son. It looked like God was getting ready to wipe out everything that Sarah and Abraham had lived for. And most of the times when trials come our way, our first response is to say, why, Lord? And then after that is to ask the next question, why me? Right away, we want God to give us explanations about what's going on in and around our life. And the fact that we ask the Father for these explanations, it seems to reveal to us that we may not know God or ourselves as we should. But Abraham, in his school of faith, immediately obeyed God's command, and he did it by faith. He trusted that God's will never contradicts God's promises. So he held on to the promise that in Isaac, Abraham's seed should be called. Faith does not demand explanation. Faith rests upon promises. Now, uh, if you look at it, that's exactly what Abraham did. He told the two servants that went with him up the, uh, on this journey, he said, I and the boy are going to go over to that mountain. We're going to worship, and we will come back to you. Abraham had no intentions of bringing back a corpse to those servants. And according to Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham obeyed God when he did not know where to go. He obeyed God when he did not really know when the promises would come through. He did not, uh, he did not waver in his faith when he did not know how God was going to perform these promises. And he continued in faith when he didn't even know why God was asking what he was asking. So depend upon promises, not explanation. And then as you're resting on the promises of God, also depend upon God's provision. It's in this story near the middle of the chapter 22 when Abraham and Isaac are making their way up the mountain. And Isaac was a young boy, teenage boy at this time. It wasn't like a little infant or a little uh, child, elementary school. He could reason. He looked around and he even said to his father, Father, we have the wood, we have the fire, we have the knife, but where is the lamb? And God, uh, uh, Abraham spoke and trusting God and resting upon God's provision said, God will see to it. Abraham was confident that God would meet every need as they went to the mountain to worship. And God did provide that sacrifice that was needed. And it was a ram that took Isaac's place on the altar. And it's at this time 
that Abraham discovers a new name for God, and that's Jehovah Jireh, and literally means, we always say God provides, but it also means the Lord will see to it. Now, there's some truths about God's provisions when we're going through the tests and trials of our life in the school of faith. Where does God provide our needs? It's in the place of his assignment. You see, Abraham obeyed God and followed to the exact mountain where God wanted Abraham and Isaac to be, and that's where God met his needs. If you're not in the will of God, following and obeying God, what God has for your life, you cannot expect God to provide for you and your walk. When does God meet our needs? Just when we have the need, and not a minute before or a minute too late. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says we can come and we can experience God's grace and mercy in the time of need. Now I know and sometimes in, in my life and I'm sure you've had the same thing that sometimes it looks like that God has waited to the last possible second to send help. But that's only from our human point of view. For you see God is never too early and he's never too late. He does it right on time. Now how does God provide for us? Well, usually it's in ways that are very quite natural. You see, when Abraham needed this substitute to be able to have instead of the sacrifice of his son, God didn't send an angel with the sacrifice and deliver it to him at his doorstep. He simply allowed a ram, an animal, to get caught in a bush by its horns. And that was at the right time that Abraham needed. And it was in the right place where Abraham could get his hands on it and use it as the substitute. Also, think about this. God sent Abraham one ram because that's what he needed. He didn't send him the whole flock of sheep. And to whom does God give provision? It's those who trust and obey his instructions. God is not obligated to bless our ideas or my projects, but he is obliged to support his work if it's done in his way and in his time. Abraham and Isaac did the will of God and on Mount Moriah, they glorified God by trusting in him. And then a, a fourth point about the school of faith is as you're going through the trials, seek to glorify Christ. And it's in difficult times of testing, it's really easy to get so self-centered and so self-consumed with our own problems and our own needs and our own burdens that we forget that our primary reason for existence is that our life could bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. We find ourselves asking the question, how can I get out of this? As opposed to asking God, what can I get out of this that would honor my Lord? We sometimes waste the sufferings and the pains that we go through by neglecting or even ignoring the opportunities that are before us to reveal Jesus Christ to others who are watching us as we go through the furnace. If there were ever two people on this earth who revealed Jesus Christ at a moment of great distress, it has to be Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. Their experience, of course, is a picture of what the Father, God the Father, and Jesus the Son on the cross. And this is one of the most beautiful types of Christ found anywhere in the Old Testament. You know, it's in Isaac's miraculous birth that Abraham saw the day that Christ would be born. And it's going to be in a little few chapters later in Genesis when Isaac's marriage is coming. 
Abraham's going to be able to see that day, that glorious day when Christ comes back for his bride on this earth, the church. But on that day on Mount Moriah, Isaac willingly put himself on the altar, being obedient to his father. Abraham was able to see into the future and see when Christ the Son would be willingly laying down his life to be obedient to his father for the death and resurrection. Now, there's several truths about the atonement that were seen in this event. First of all, you have to see that the Father and the Son acted together. It wasn't that the Father had neglected uh, Christ when He was leaving. The Father had sent Jesus to save lost sinners. And, and we talk about the love that Jesus has for those that He died for, but a lot of times we fail to think about the great love that the Father and the Son had for each other. Abraham didn't withhold his only son in Genesis chapter 22, and the father did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all as sinners, as Romans 8 verse 32 talks about. So the father and the son acted together, but as they acted together, it was the son who had to die. Now in Isaac's case, there was a substitute that took his place, but on the cross, Jesus took our place, and he was the only sacrifice that could finally and completely take away the sins of the world. And if you read through chapter 22, you'll, you'll hear that question that Isaac asked his father. He said, Father, we have all these things, but where is the lamb? Isaac asked for a lamb, and God provided a lamb. John the Baptist answered Isaac's question in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. In chapter 1, verse 29, when John the Baptist pointed at Jesus as he was walking toward him, and John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The cross was that physical instrument of death. But at Calvary, Jesus experienced much, much more than just the physical death on that cross. He endured the judgment of God against the sin of this world. And it was at that time that Jesus that God, while Jesus had the weight of the sin on his shoulders, dying on that cross, that God turned his back and was forsaken when Jesus Christ became the sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God, as 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says. And then we also see that the son bore the burden of sin. It was Abraham who took the wood and laid it upon Isaac's back. God took our iniquities and that was what God laid upon the back of Jesus according to the prophet Isaiah. And as he died on the cross, we also remember that the son was raised from the dead. Isaac only died and was raised in a figurative sense in what we understand in Genesis 22. But Jesus literally, physically died and was buried, but rose triumphantly from the grave on the third day. And it's interesting that when Abraham and Isaac returned to the two servants that went with them that were waiting. Nothing is said about Isaac again in the biblical record until we see him meeting his bride in chapter 24. While it's obvious that Isaac did return home with his father, the Bible text reminds us that the next great event on God's calendar is the return of Jesus Christ. After the resurrection and the ascension to heaven, the next great event that Jesus Christ will make on the impression of this earth is when he returns to claim his bride the church. Now the greatest thing that can happen as we experience the trials God sends our way is that we grow closer to our Father in heaven and become more like our Lord Jesus Christ here on this earth. 
You see, Calvary was not only the place where Christ died for our sins, but it's also the place where he sanctified suffering in the believer's life. It's by his resurrection that he transformed suffering into glory. Seek to glorify the Lord and God will take care of the rest. And when we're going through the school of faith and we're going and enduring these trials, there's always an afterward. There's always a time when God comes back to us and lets us see the benefits of what we have learned as we've walked following him in this life. And Abraham, in the last part of chapter 22, received several blessings from God because of his obedient faith. Number one, he received a new approval from God. Abraham himself described this whole uh, scenario, this whole experience as worship, as he said in verse 5 to the servants, you stay here, the, the boy and I are going to go over to that mountain and we're going to worship. Because to Abraham, that's exactly what this experience was. And that worship experience and offering his only son was well worth the experience of hearing God say to Abraham, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And another benefit that Abraham experienced from this trial was that he received a new son. You see, they both, the father and the son, came back from the altar of God. But Isaac was now that living sacrifice. And you have to almost just believe that when Paul was writing the book of Romans and he was in chapter 12 and talking about presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, that image of Isaac and Abraham had to be clear in his mind. Because you see, at that point, God gave uh, Isaac to Abraham as he was born as this miraculous child. In life. And, and Abraham did not withhold that only son. And he gave Isaac back to God. And when we're walking through the school of faith, remember, we can never outgive God. Anything we trust Him and obey in Him, He is going to, to return to us a hundredfold over usually in blessings. We must be careful, though, that the things that God gives us, those gifts that He gives us, do not take the place of our love and adoration and worship of the one who gave them to us. So He received a new son, but He also received new assurances. God said, because you have not withheld your only son, the son whom you love, He reiterated all the promises that God had made to Abraham in chapter 12. He said, I'm going to make your name great. He said, I'm going to bless you. And your descendants are going to be as many as the stars in the sky and as much as the sand on the seashore. And all of your offspring are going to be descendants that will bless the entire nations. He had heard all this before, but now it comes with a new meaning because this one he waited for so long, this son, he gave back to God. And now God was ready to give him to the rest of the world. Spurgeon has said this, the promises of God never shine brighter than in the furnace of affliction. As much as Abraham loved his son Isaac, when he came off that mountain after being obedient to God's word and he received that son back, he had to be walking without hardly even touching the ground on that mountain because he saw God do a miracle. And what those two men did on that lonely altar on that mountain would one day, and even in our day, it bring a blessing to the whole world. Our faith is being strengthened because of what they did on that mountain. And Abraham also learned the new name for God. I've already mentioned this once about Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will be seen, or the Lord will see to it, 
is what Jehovah Jireh means. And it was in that Jewish temple that was built right there on Mount Moriah. That's where 2 Chronicles chapter 3 tells us that during his earthly ministry, our Lord Jesus Christ was seen many times at that earthly temple. But it was the true Lamb of God that was being seen there that would die for our sins. And then Abraham also heard another new name. As God was speaking to him at the end of this chapter, he heard the name Rebekah. And Rebekah would one day, and not too distant future from that day, become Isaac's wife. And then the last thing that I want you to think about are the blessings that God heaps upon us as we go through the trials and tests of the school of faith is that we will grow a deeper love for the Lord. And I'd like to close this podcast with reading to you a few verses that Paul wrote to us in the book of Ephesians chapter 3. This is a beautiful prayer that Paul has written for us, and, it, and I think it's something that should permeate the heart of a believer that's trying to be obedient and follow what God has for us today. Paul writes this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole world of the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church, the bride of Christ, the church of Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, I have no idea what you're experiencing in your life right now. You may be going through one of the most difficult times of your life. Know that God has gone there before you. He's waited for you to get there, and He's going to stand beside you. He's going to carry you through, and one day, as you walk through that great valley, He's going to elevate you back on the mountaintop. Be obedient to what you hear God say. Abraham's life is a beautiful example of how we need to live by faith today and obey the things that God says to us. I hope this has encouraged you in your life and in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have any questions or comments, please email me at mike at risen.church and I would love to hear from you and I would try to respond if you have a question. Thank you and may God bless you.